Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that brings you the latest insights and career development strategies in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and I'm excited to bark on another enlightening conversation with a leader in our field. But before we begin, let me take a moment to introduce myself in addition to hosting this podcast. I'm a leadership coach, a mastermind facilitator, best-selling author, and a speaker. If you're in need of a dynamic speaker for your next conference or workshop, be sure to visit my speaking page at PattonMcDowell.com for more information. Now let's get into today's episode. Joining me is Reed Riccardi, the Executive Director of Talent Management at NC State University. Reed is responsible for developing and implementing a strategic talent management program for the University Advancement Division, as well as its partner colleges and units at NC State. His expertise is something you, I know, want to develop as well. It's attracting, retaining, and developing talent. And I know that you're going to take away lots of useful advice. During our conversation, in fact, we talked about several key topics essential for nonprofit leadership that will help you build a strong team and foster a culture of growth. Simply put, how can you build a culture that will attract, retain, and develop talent? Reed also shared valuable insight around providing opportunities for team members to advance within your organization, which, of course, is something they're looking for and why it's so important to maintain a motivated and engaged workforce. As always, check out the resources and information from this episode in the show notes. This is episode number 215. You can find all of this information on the podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com. And while you're there, take a moment to learn more about Reed and what he's doing to attract and retain talent at North Carolina State University. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Reed Riccardi. Reed, thank you for joining me on The Path. Hey, Pat. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. I'm excited about this conversation, Reed. We've had the discussion around talent before, and of course, every nonprofit leader knows that the importance to their achieving their mission is by having talented individuals uh, as part of their team. But you're actually doing things that I know our listeners are going to benefit from. So it's one thing to say we need more talent. It's another to actually do things that identify, attract, and retain the folks that are necessary for us to achieve our mission. So with with that in mind, and I know you can go in a lot of different directions here, but what do you think is some are some of the most, or is there a single most important aspect around attracting talent to an organization? Thanks, Pat. Yeah, that that's a big question. I I can talk for the next sixty minutes on this. Is it <laughs> exactly? Just, just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 Uh, um, yeah. So I mean, first of all, I don't think there's any magic sauce to this, right? You can look at different uh, angles of this, and every organization's different. So many nuances. Um, adding to the team, building the team is, of course, incredibly important. It's not easy. The current uh, marketplace, the the environment, uh, you know, there's a ton of competition out there. And for, you know, I don't care if you're you, where we are at NC State and you've, you're the biggest nonprofit in the state or you're the smallest nonprofit, it's still kind of daunting when you're looking at filling roles and looking across the marketplace and, and uh, what those candidate pools might look like for your for your positions that you're posting. Um, I guess, you know, if I, if I'm uh, trying to be a little bit more specific and just thinking about my experience, which is, 
which is also based on what I've learned from peers, right? Like this is some of this I've picked up along the way by doing it. And others I've learned some, from some experts of a lot deeper experience in the space than I do um, because I came up through the ranks as a fundraiser for a long time. But um, I do think there, you know, there are probably three or four things that I think about and my team tries to think about on a regular basis. And um, one of those is just how you communicate with people and, and that can be in print form, you know, what that job description looks like. Um, the way you interact with candidates, I think is really important. Um, how you, how you communicate with them and, and trying to think about how you put yourself in the shoes of the candidates and what you're reading and what you're feeling and, and hearing from people. Um, I think having a sales mindset, I mean, I, I've seen other organizations and um, frankly, other peers sometimes or colleagues where they forget that people have choices. So as much as you're vetting and screening candidates, you're also needing to sell you, yourself or your organization or your team. And it's incredibly important that you make that compelling. Uh, why should somebody want to work there? What's the yep. pitch? Yep. And that's got to feel authentic and genuine. Um, I think the, you know, one of my mantras and my team has heard from me a lot of times is that the worst candidate, and by that, I mean, the candidate that probably has the least chance of moving very far in the process Right. on that, you know, they're all candidates are great people, but I think we need to treat that candidate who's the least viable, just as good. And they should have just as positive experience as our best candidate, the candidate that we are so excited about. And that's a guiding principle for us. And I know that pays dividends because uh, it impacts our reputation, what people say about uh, their experience at NC State. And then um, we try to be incredibly transparent. I think that's, we hear that from candidates, the feedback we receive about how much they appreciate that they were, that we were upfront about the salary, the process, the timeline. Um, we even give feedback to the candidates. We have to be a little careful about that, but we try to right. give them some feedback if, they, if they're not moving forward. Um, and, and that's, you know, I know everybody, everybody really appreciates that. Um, and I think that's good for now. I mean, one other thing I would say too, is you do while, while, uh, you know, you try to be fair and equitable for all candidates. I think you're, um, shooting yourself in the foot if you're not paying special attention to the high performers or those candidates that jump out, uh, just based on their materials and experience. And you want everybody to have a great experience, everybody to, to be uh, positive when uh, they're interacting with you. But um, we definitely pay a little extra attention, give a little extra love, if you will, to those candidates that we are very excited about and that we think are a really good match for us. And same goes for our internal candidates, honestly, and who are, who are our colleagues, right? But um, it, it doesn't have to be a pure democracy <laughs> in this process. Yeah, but right. uh, if, you, if you don't pay attention to some of those people that um, really check all the boxes and you're not, uh, interacting with them right away and being really consistent and just giving them an extra level of touch. Um, I think you, you miss out on, on, uh, you know, potentially losing somebody to, that, that goes somewhere else. So anyway, hope that's, hope that covers some bases there. It's fantastic. It's a literally a checklist of topics that I may want to unpack more because sure. uh, again, organizations know this concept of talent, uh, development, or they, they think they do. But they do things, Reed, and, and like to your point of communication, one thing that drives me crazy, and you're first, you're the first to acknowledge that, hey, we're a university, we've, we're a larger institution, but even a small right. nonprofit, uh, right. I hear all the time they're ghosting candidates and, and candidates are coming mm -hmm. to me like, I don't even know, did they get my application? You know, I had to follow up and nobody will tell me anything. 
And so I guess, number one, I want to highlight that, that because, it, and, and Reed, I'll get you to say it again. You and I had this conversation earlier that yeah. even if that candidate doesn't get this job, they have a network, right? They go out yeah. and talk yeah, to their absolutely. friends. And so yeah. talk about that. Absolutely. I guess the ramifications of communication and transparency. Yeah. I mean, we some of the feedback that we've had from candidates in the past, um, they've, they acknowledge the level of communication that they had with us and the transparency and how, and I mean, I hear it all the time that I've never experienced this before. I've never, you know, and they'll give me examples of your, your, you know, what you said about ghosting where they apply and hear nothing yep. for months. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's not that hard, right? You know, somebody applies and NC state has their automatic HR kind of communication, you know, that you at least get acknowledgement then, but then we send a personal email and it's, you know, it says specific things that, that makes it personal, you know, has their name, it has the role that they've applied yes. for. Yes. Also, I mean, we thank them. Thank you for taking your time to invest in this position search, you know, that you've, you've taken the time to submit your materials that thank you for your interest in NC state. And we're looking forward to being in touch with you. Here's the, the tentative timeline. So you can expect to hear something by around this time frame. And if you have any questions along the way, you know, let us know, just reach out anytime. So it, that's a, what, two paragraphs barely. Yeah, and right, right. people really, really appreciate that. And uh, again, it, it's not like you're revealing anything. It's not like you're um, sabotaging the process or, or taking much of your time. I mean, these are, you know, kind of form emails that we have, that we have templated and ready to go, but we personalize them. And then I think it makes a big difference. One more follow-up, Reed. You said another thing I think that's important. As much as we have a process and we need to honor the process in this era of competition for talent, I think what you're saying is, hey, when someone comes in that is clearly a strong candidate, we need to move fast. Is that kind of the in-between-the-lines that I'm reading there from your point? Yeah, I think moving fast in terms of communicating with them, like we're not going to be able to move fast to alter the timeline of the search process usually. I mean, because gotcha. that's yeah. baked in and we've got too many uh, cooks in the kitchen, people involved to really change that overall timeline. But if somebody applies and they look really good on paper and check a lot of boxes and we're excited about them, not only are they going to get that email from us, but probably within the first three or four days of them applying, they're going to get a call from someone on my team or they're going to get a call from me yep. and it's going to be yep. reiterating basically what was in that email, but it's just a chance to have a little, build a little rapport and, and talk to them a little bit. It's not an inner, you know, we make it really clear. This is not part of the formal process or anything. Yeah, and right, right, it's, right. it's a chance to um, do a little screening, if you will, you know, we'll ask a few questions, just kind of do a little background, but it's, it's very casual and uh, again, it's just another way to, to have a personalized touch. And then maybe as we get closer to the search committee making a decision, we'll have another touch, you know, and maybe that's just a quick email. Maybe it's a text from me. Maybe it's yeah. a message on LinkedIn just to say, hey, you know, here's where we are. Just just touch and base again. And um, and, you know, we we do often in those conversations, ask them if they're willing to share. Are they are they in other searches? What's their process timeline look like? And that's helpful because they might say they're not, but they might say they are. And when you have a sense of what their timing is, that can serve you well with your process. And just, again, it's a transparency. And I think people people really appreciate that. Couldn't agree more. And I'm nodding with, I hope my listeners, as they ponder, as you think about search processes, 
Uh, are you guilty of ghosting? <laughs> are you guilty of poor <laughs> yeah. communication? It, it, yeah. Even if you're a small shop, there's no reason you can't develop a personalized, adaptable template email like you described, yes. Reed. And I like the fact that you are thinking like a salesperson that, hey, maybe that extra touch of the phone call or some personal outreach could make the difference. Now, you're careful, I know, not to promise anything. You know, the search has to go oh, of on. Course, of course. But, yep. but yep. you're building, you know, yeah. positive relationships and rapport. Yeah, and and I I'll be fairly transparent too about the nature of their candidacy. For instance, if it's a really if it's somebody I believe is a strong candidate, and and you know we've been doing this enough that you can kind of get a sense of that, and you do a little, uh, you know, you read their materials. I'll, I'll let them know, and I'll say, you know, look, just based on on your materials and your application and this position, I, I think you're going to be a strong candidate for this. And you know, I. I don't do that with everybody, of course, and I, I don't try to grade everybody as I'm talking to them. But if they're a strong candidate, I think they are, I'm going to let them know because I, I want them to have confidence in, in where they might be with the search. And, and I don't lead them and, you know, I make it clear this is a this is a wide open process and we treat all candidates the same. But, you know, just looking at your materials and your application, I think you're going to be a strong candidate for the search. Yeah, strategic and smart. And again, mm -hmm. I'm hopeful that, you, well, I know you're uh, encouraging our listeners to think about these things and, and frankly, step back and think about their process. But let me pause on that point for a moment and go sure. back to your journey. You've sure. got a fascinating leadership journey yourself. So maybe start with, Reed, what exactly do you do at NC State? And then maybe what are some of the experiences that contributed to the work you do now? Yeah. Um, so I'm the executive director of talent management at NC State, and uh, my team is part of our finance administration and talent management team that reports to the vice chancellor for advancement. Um, so in my purview, we are leading all of the frontline searches, frontline fundraising searches, leadership searches, uh, some of the early career, early mid-career roles that are uh, across the board. So not just frontline fundraising, but could be engagement, could be communications and marketing, could be advancement services. Um, and we handle those search processes, you know, from A to Z. And we are are part of the onboarding process and, and helping to ensure that people have a great experience uh, when they arrive at NC State. Um, we have somebody, uh, an associate director for professional development and training who reports to me, and that's a relatively new position, but we've been curating and facilitating professional development and training uh, since I've been in the role. And now with this uh, position, I say, I say new, it's been a little over a year now, but um, it it's allowed us to be much more intentional and strategic about what we can offer in terms of professional development to all of our colleagues across the division. Um, a lot of it for my first two or three years in the role was was focused more on the front line, and now we're just trying to expand that for everybody. So anyway, that's that's kind of the the, the formal set of responsibilities, but right, right. Um, maybe a little bit more informal. I do a fair amount of coaching, career coaching, consulting with, with leaders and supervisors and managers. What we try to bill ourselves as uh, is just a we're, we're Switzerland, right? We're we are a neutral entity within advancement, yep. and we don't we're not involved with performance management. We don't get involved with employee relations. But if you, for instance, are somebody who is thinking about making a move within the organization, and you know it's kind of premature to talk about that with your manager, you don't know who to go to. You know, you can come to us. We're neutral. 
we are tight lipped. We're not going to be talking about e-boat. We can give you some, you know, give you a sounding board of sorts. So right, right. It's, um, it's almost an ombudsman role in, in a way, uh, an informal ombudsman role. Right. And that's honestly some of the, the, the aspects of the job that I enjoy the most, the, the coaching, the, 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 the mentoring. And uh, I don't know about you, Patton, but coming up through the ranks, you know, 25 years ago or a little bit longer, nobody did that for me. Nobody, you know, it just wasn't talked about right. it because I think right. our, profession, our profession has evolved in different ways. And now it's, now people are much more intentional about going into advancement. And so, you know, I wish I had had some of that coaching mentoring <laughs> or much earlier right. in my career and, 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 and training, you know, like plus Delta, who we use a lot for our frontline fundraising training. I wish I'd had that earlier in my career because I, I think I would have been a much better fundraiser and much better professional. But in any case, so um, those are my areas of responsibility. Um, and I, I came up to the ranks, like I said, as a fundraiser. I started working at a couple of small independent schools in uh, the Northeast and then in Indiana and then worked at Purdue, my alma mater for 10 years, worked at uh, in a variety of advancement roles and then worked at uh, Duke at the FICO School Business for four years. Um, part of that in major gifts, part of that in annual giving and then strategy around the campaign. And then became a chief development officer at NC State at the College of Education, was in that role for about six years. And then good talent management story. Our vice chancellor, Brian Cisco, uh, called me up one day and asked to meet with me and and told me all about this talent management space, which at the time I had honestly had never heard of in that <laughs> right. Right. You know, pure, pure sense, like talent management and advancement. And, uh, and yeah, asked if I'd be interested in, in exploring this position and maybe even, you know, starting a, a, an office up. And, uh, uh, and at, at first I'll, I'll confess that was not so interested. I didn't, <laughs> I, I took kinda, some recruitment. <laughs> I, yeah. I think it was sort of like a thanks, but, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll give it some thought. And, uh, right. and then of course did some reflecting and talked to people I trust and, everybody's like, are you nuts? This, you know, this is, this job is made for you. <laughs> you're, wow. you know, you, you would be really good at it. And also, by the way, if you're, if your boss, if your vice chancellor is tapping on the shoulder, you, you might want to, uh, <laughs> respond, uh, seriously to, consider, right? Yeah. Seriously consider that kind of opportunity. And, you know, it, it's it, the, the lesson there was, Brian saw something in me and, that I didn't see in myself. That's one, that's one part of it. The right. other part is what he does and what I think all good supervisors and leaders do when you have opportunities and when you have roles to fill or, you know, thinking strategically about new things within the organization, where do you start? You start with who's on the bus yes. and yes. Who, who could, who could be doing something and have a bigger impact than the role they're in at the moment. Right. Yeah, indeed. And kudos absolutely. to Brian and, yeah, and frankly, a leadership question every listener should ponder, right? Is that internal view of talent you already have that perhaps could be enhanced further. And uh, you've been a great resource. I've seen it in action, what you enjoy doing, providing the coaching and training. And of course, you do have, however, the background in advancement work, development work, which right. I would guess sharpens your abilities even more. Um, let Absolutely. me ask you, because it is coming as I reflect on my higher ed days, HR was a centralized function, you know, for those listeners at large universities and institutions, we went to HR and, and help, you know, sought their help. But talk right. about this trend, I guess, because I'm fascinated by it, that you are, uh, in essence, you know, embedded in the advancement unit doing uh, HR functions. Is that fair? And is that a trend you see 
more of? I, I mean, I think I was first exposed to it at the University of Michigan, which was sort of the gold standard in terms of talent management. That was the HR functions were embedded in advancement in the way that they managed searches for the division and, and professional development and training. Um, and in that, you know, gosh, that goes back maybe 15 plus years ago now. Right, right. Um, but most institutions that are, uh, you know, certainly most tier one institutions and even a lot of mid-sized institutions now have at least one person that that's their responsibility within advancement. So it's definitely uh, a trend that's not going away and it's just building. I mean, you know, my shop's a good example. It was me and now we're a team of four and now we're part of a bigger shop within advancement. And that's a team of uh, what, 10 or 11. So um, yeah, I, I think this is a, a trend and I think the, the ROI is there. And when uh, organizations, institutions can afford the resources and investment, it's a, I think it's a very smart investment. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And again, for the medium or smaller organizations out there, you and I aren't certainly advocating that they can necessarily hire a, a person or a team, but they could be more thoughtful, it seems to me, about the elements of talent development you're describing. Because I, I just still feel Absolutely. a lot of folks, it, it's an afterthought. Right? Uh-oh, somebody yeah. left. We're scrambling yeah. to hire. And, and you're suggesting yeah. we need to be more proactive about these processes. Absolutely. And it's also, um, you save money, right? I mean, so a lot of places have to hire uh, search firms to do all their search or to do right, a lot of right. searches where they're not able to generate the candidate pools. And, um, and you know, those searches can be anywhere from 25, 30,000 to upwards of 70 and 80,000, depending on the, the uh, salary for the position. Well, if you're doing three, four, five plus uh, those kinds of uh, searches and investing that kind of money, well, you can invest that in a staff member or two yes. and it's going to pay dividends. I mean, if you've got the team to do it now, if you don't, and you're a really small shop, th th that's obviously very different. Um, but I still think to your point, you can be a little bit more intentional and smart about how you are managing different elements of talent management to at least have some degree of competitive advantage for your organization. Well, and to your point, the ROI is not just measured in the kind of search costs, but you're involved in professional development and retention, right? So there's Correct. maybe less tangible in some ways, but it's still a very important factor that, uh, again, the focus on talent management uh, is is vital, and I'm delighted you're raising it. Uh, let me go back to something you said, Reed, in your sure. in the outset. And again, you've been really good at NC State of creating a culture for talent development. And and I could see a lot of people saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I hear culture is important all the time. But right. specifically, if somebody said, all right, Reed, what do I do about it? How do I create a culture that will attract talent? Yeah. Um, I Well, some of, some of what I was talking about earlier, I think having a, a very um, – transparent process. I think, uh, you know, we, I, I take it for granted now. We didn't, when I first got in this position, uh, people across the, uh, across the landscape at NC State, you know, we have 10 uh, colleges and we have other units and, you know, there's the Wolfpack Club, et cetera. Everybody did their own thing. So no search looked the same. There was tremendous inconsistencies about how all these searches ran. And, um, and we went from that where I was working hard to get people to allow me at the time or whoever else to help lead their searches to now the reflex 
by any supervisor manager in advancement at NC State now is to come to our team, to our office, to get help and to manage their searches. And so that's a cultural shift in a way, right? Right, um, right. They, they, and, and how did we do that? Well, we did that by building trust, building rapport, and and uh, perfecting is kind of a strong word, but because I don't think anything's perfect, but we've <laughs> right. created a we've created a process that's damn good that yes. works well, yes. is consistent, and we've proven it. Right? We've hired some great people. We've hired a lot of great people over the last four or five years, and it's through this process that we have shown to work well. And um, so, so part of the culture piece is just working with colleagues to build a process that everybody buys into. And I, I think that contributes to this um, culture around how we manage our searches and uh, how we how we recruit. Um, so it's it's everybody being a part of that and having that buy-in and feeling invested. Um, I was struck I by think, that. So sorry, Reed, to interrupt no, no, you. Go ahead. Well, yeah. and, and you, you reinforced that in a previous conversation too, that uh, everybody needs to be engaged in the talent process. So it it strikes me again, an advantage of you being embedded in the advancement team is that you can talk to everyone about the process because in other words, it's not just an isolated function that you right. and your team are doing, right? Because right? yeah. you just don't know who amongst the rest of the team are going to be out in the community interacting with a potential candidate, right? And I guess you've reinforced that. Yeah, yeah, it, absolutely. And, um, you know, one thing that we, I, it's not that I take for granted, but I, but I forget a little bit is every one of these searches, we have a search committee, right? And we do a, we are intentional about who is on those committees. We try to make sure it's representative of all sorts of things across the across the organization. And um, those search committees spend a lot of time together. They get to know each other, and right, right. Um, we're we're trying. We don't go back to the. We don't use the same person all the time. We try to really mix it up. We try to give people who have never been on a search committee to have that opportunity. And and there's certainly, you know, there's certainly colleagues who I, I think do it a little bit better than others. I mean, I think everybody does a pretty good job, but there are some that re- are really good. And so we always like to have one of those people on our search committees. But um, they that process uh, over the years now, over, you know, five years of having this organized in a way where people spend a lot of time together and getting to know one, each, uh, one another and and then also selling NC State together, that's contributed to our culture in a big way. And uh, I mean, I hear it from candidates on a pretty routine basis where they say, you know, it was, I, well, first of all, I really enjoyed getting to know the search committee. It just seems like a really great group of people and, and thoughtful and nice and, um, and, you know, enjoyed them. Um, and they said, and they, and they'll also say what's interesting in other searches. I've heard this many times that when your team got on the calls and when they were talking and when we were on zoom or in person, they clearly knew each other and had comfort with each other and, and seemed to like each other. (laughs) That's powerful. Yes. Yeah. and, And other searches I've been a part of, I would be on a call or be in a meeting and the, the people who worked together didn't know each other. Like they, they were introducing themselves to each other in the meeting <laughs> and, and they're the ones that are interviewing the candidate. Right. So, so I true. Thought that, that really stuck with me that, um, and I feel it too. And I, and I think now part of it, uh, honestly, uh, I think when you're in talent management, you're, you need to be a cheerleader. Yes. You need to be the thinking about morale and 
Um, so uh, I, we make it a, uh, our mission to make sure that people who are part of the process also have some fun. So we're always introducing levity and I'm, I'm the first one cracking some jokes and just kind of getting people in a good headspace, right? And, and positive and, and just having some fun because uh, we, we need to, that's important. Yeah. And I it's think not that's a gotcha, right, Reed? I mean, yeah. it's not kind of yeah. because I think yeah. a lot of search or a lot of interviews, they're terrifying because we worry you're right. going to grill us <laughs> too much. Right. That's a, that's exactly right. And so um, I think that that's part of our culture. I think people feel that when they are interacting with us. And and I and I know our colleagues uh, feel that. So um, I I think those things they take time, right? Uh, there's a process to getting there. And, and certainly where we are now is not where we were last year or two years, three years before that. I think we've been constantly thinking about improving. That's that's part of the cultural aspect of it too, that we we have that constant, uh, you know, how can we do this better? What, what what can we do differently? And we're always challenging ourselves and asking people to, to give that critical feedback. But um, I don't know, I, th I, I think culture is tough. And it takes time and you have to be really intentional. Well, it's, it's a perfect example in terms of you start with the internal communication uh, of, of getting everybody on board. And I love that idea of involving more people in searches so they understand kind of both sides of this equation. And indeed, I'm, I'm sure that translates into a culture that uh, the good candidates are looking for. And so right. that's, I hear that all the time, you know, it starts maybe with the job description, the posting, but ultimately I'm making decisions on this, the fit. And so oh, you were illustrating correct. that. Yep. Yeah. And I, I will say that's one word we try not to use too much and not that it's a bad word. Fit. Tell, yeah. Well, tell um, me. Yeah. What? Yeah. I, 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 what I've come to learn a little bit, or uh, I think kind of understand is fit is can be really loaded right with bias true and um so we try we tend to talk more about uh alignment and match and that can be different for different people different teams different supervisors different candidates but i think when when you use those words alignment match um it, it can sometimes avoid some of the some of that bias but but well to your put. point that, that that's awesome ultimately what you're looking for right you are looking for that fit it's just we we tend not to use that word as much and and honestly the the word i don't use like publicly necessarily but i see it all the time and, and i'll talk about it with supervisors is you could have the best candidate in the world but if they don't have chemistry with the supervisor or vice versa it ain't gonna work right yes well put and that that's one of the kind of the intangibles i guess you're trying to evaluate <laughs> right and, and yeah uh, but yeah. Well, you 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 mentioned, of course, the importance of communication. You've illustrated beautifully the internal communication that builds culture. Uh, the external communication often starts with the job description itself. Sure. Uh, yeah. And I'm struck by ones I've seen coming out of your shop. It's more than just a rote job description, right? So talk about what does an, an organization need to think about as they post uh, an opening and what can they do maybe to make that more effective? You want people to be able to read it in a way that it just has a flowing narrative style to it. It's, it's easy, easy to read. That's, that's kind of hard to nail down exactly, but you know, right, when, right. When you see it, I, I guess you're right. Um, and I, I think what I see sometimes is job descriptions, try to try to touch on every single little thing that person will be doing in that role. And I think 
that's just over. You just don't need that. I think you want to give the highlights. You know, these are your basic core job responsibilities and what you're going to be doing in this role. Yep. Um, it's not a legal document, right? It's not like something somebody's going to come back someday and, and sue the institution because, hey, this wasn't on the, the yeah. job description here. No, it's not. You know, the job description is for de- describing what the person's going to be doing. And, and, but also it's selling. So you want to make sure it's appealing and you want to make sure you're trying to use language that um, people can see themselves doing that work. And um, so I, I think we try to do that. Um, every institution's a little different about this when it comes to salary ranges. But in this day and age, that's becoming um, a standard. Uh, uh, I think in the HR world, when they talk about this, certainly in the DEI space, that's really important for equity to, uh, if, if you're in a position to share and be transparent about your hiring range, your salary range yes, to, to do, right. to do that. It saves everybody time. Right. And Couldn't agree um, more. I've, I've had a couple instances where you get to the, you know, the, the end of the road in the search and you haven't had that conversation. And then you realize there's no alignment, you know, you're, you're at one the institution is here. Yeah. yeah and, and the candidates expectations are way off. Um, so we, we actually have very transparent conversations about the salary range, even if we aren't able to post it. And we do that at multiple times during the process. Um, I know this, this gets a little off track in the job description, but I'll get that back. Well, to that. No, but I think it's but related. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just as an, as an aside. And, and I, I think, I think that transparency is, is helpful. Um, I think being very clear about you know who the who the position reports to, what that structure and what that team looks like. I think that can be helpful, um, and uh, you know, not not uh, painting yourself in a in a box or in a corner when it comes to the the qualifications, because you just want to be as general as you can, because you don't want people to read the job description and think, oh. Well, I've got 90% of this, but I don't have 10%. Uh, I don't have those two things or that one thing. So I so, don't apply. Right. Yeah, I'm not going to apply. Like, why am I going to apply? I don't have everything. So you, you want to be, I think being a little bit more general helps you out. And that's why I get back to, you know, not including every single little tiny thing uh, aspect of the job that they're going to be doing in the job description. It's just not necessary. Yeah, well put. And something else I've seen you all do well, and I've, I've got a friend, Ken Fuquay, he's the CEO of an organization called Lifespan, marketing his desire as a leader to market his organization as an employer of choice. You know, right. we, we want to be somewhere people want to work. And, and I feel like you're doing some of that too, Reed. Is that fair that you're trying to market more broadly that, hey, we're a good place to, to come to? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, we're very fortunate, and I, and I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, sim- I'm empathetic, sympathetic for peers of mine who work in institutions that are maybe not in a place that is such a popular part of the country for people to move to. And I don't take that for granted, right? It's, it's harder when you're, I don't know, you're recruiting somebody to go to Rochester, New York, versus Raleigh, North Carolina. I think right, Rochester, right. Rochester's a really nice place, right? But right now, Raleigh is a hot market. People yes. want to move to the tri- triangle. Yes. So I, we benefit from that. There's no doubt about it. And uh, so I, I don't, I want, I don't certainly want to represent uh, what we do is like we're, we're doing something again, magical. I, I think part of it is just where we happen to live in a great part of the country. That's, that's popular. Um, but, but we also work for an institution that's built a fantastic reputation over the past 10, 15 years. It's always had a good reputation, but it's even better now. 
Um, and it is an employer employee employer of choice. And we are the largest nonprofit in the state. So um, now all that said, like, you don't want to take it for granted. So I, yeah, I think we right. have to sell ourselves and sell our culture and, and, and try to position whether it's in the job description or the marketing or advertising, why, you know, why uh, somebody would want to work at NC state. And I think, I think you can do that in a number of different ways, but here again, there's no, there's no perfect formula for that. Um, I mean, people ask about like, when, whenever we start a search, where are we going to advertise? Where are we going to market? Like it's some big mystery. and it's it's really not there, there's like three or four places we're going to advertise every time right, right. we're going to advertise in inside higher ed higher ed jobs we're going to advertise with case we're going to advertise with some afp chapters we're going to advertise with aado and and try to try to diversify our candidate pools with a couple places but there there's no there's no perfect formula to all that we're going to try to throw a lot at the you know a lot of the, the fridge to see what sticks Again, I'm I'm glad you reinforced. And again, the broader cultural issues, the marketing value of your whole team being engaged. And I like what you're saying. And and again, I reference Ken that a leader listening right now, think about how you can articulate in any of your communications. We want to be a good place where people want to work. You know, just and, and and maybe there's the testimonial value, you know, when you feature, you know, why I love to work here, why I feel right. And and so I'm seeing things that you're doing and others, and again, would encourage our listeners to think about how you are making the case, maybe outside of the specific job postings, but right. generally, you know, that we, we yep. value talent. And I There's guess, some, it, yeah, sorry. No, 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 sorry. I, I just, I, I remembered something else, uh, Pat, that, yeah, that go we've ahead. done that we use a lot. We created a, a, a landing page website that's part of our advancement. Uh, our, our big NC State Advancement uh, website, but we have a talent management specific website. It's pretty simple. It, we we list all of our job opportunities that then link to HR, so people can search by job category, whether it's frontline fundraising or or communications, etc. Right. And then and then we also have a page that talks a little bit about working in advancement at NC State. And we have some. You said t- testimonials, which reminded me, we've got nice. two or three three two or three nice testimonials on there. It talks, uh, you know, we, we use it as a, you know, as a cell, like, you know, talks about our culture, talks about the campaign, talks about living and working in the triangle in Raleigh. Um, and then it has lots, lots of links to other things. So it, it's really, I know some uh, organizations are a lot smaller and would think, oh my gosh, that's, I can't, you know, build out something like that. But um, ours is, if you, if you want to search it, it's, it's, um, it's advanced. It's, I'm trying to think. Uh, if you if you simply Google advancement roles NC State or development jobs NC State, you're there, there's all that. these you're you're gonna land at that page. And in I think advancement careers is technically the the uh, the actual name on the on the page. But it's it's just a couple links. It's not a complicated uh, landing page. And we we have to manually refresh it when we have searches come online or go offline. But um, we share that with a lot of people who are, you know, interested in working with us and just encourage them to keep checking. And and that's been helpful, too. I love that. And it seems to be uh, translating to a small shop, Read that their principles here. One, um, you, you could, in, when you post, you could have a link, meet our team, take them to mm-hmm. the, the, the team exactly. page. And exactly. and maybe be even more intentional about your team bios, including a statement why why I love the work I do here, you know, or some right. such kind of, in essence, a testimonial, but it could accomplish 
what you're describing, even in a small shop setting. Uh, and again, yep. that to me would be attractive. Yeah. And, and, uh, it's a small thing, but, uh, pictures like, you know, pictures of people smiling, yes. <laughs> like the bios, yes. you know, so you, you want to, you want to visualize the people you might be working with. And I, I think, uh, that that's nice to, to see people's faces. Uh, um, indeed. You know. we, we react to that, right. In a, in a yep. generally positive way. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, Reed, so much more we can unpack. And as you said, we could have just started with culture and gone 60 minutes straight on that topic, but you have enlightened on multiple topics. I, I guess from a closing statement perspective, you know, is there anything else as you imagine our listeners now thinking about their wheels are turning in terms of talent yeah. development, anything else you would add to, to your list? Um, I guess, you know, a lot of people are talking about retention these days. Yeah. So there's the, there was the recruitment side onboarding. Um, well, one thing I'll say about onboarding too, that I, I think we are doing a better job of, we're still not where we want to be, but um, so much about onboarding is there's the process side, you know, getting, people what they need to do their job and have it that first day or in those first days and give them the training that they need, et cetera. But um, the, there's just a lot of literature about the importance of helping people make connections and make meaningful connections at the organization where they work. Yep. And the sooner you do that and the more intentional you are about helping people make those connections in a way, it's like helping them make friends, right? Yeah, um, right because right. we spend a lot of time, we've spent a lot of time with people we work with. Um, that 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 pays big dividends on their onboarding experience, but ultimately on their retention. Um, people who feel more invested and uh, have a sense of belonging earlier in their tenure. Uh, there's all sorts of I can't cite them, but I know there's a, there's a lot. There's been a lot of research on this. Absolutely, and the metrics are the metrics are really clear. You you uh, make people you not make people, but you help people get uh, build a build a network you help them feel connected you help them feel a sense of belonging and uh they are less likely to leave and we've certainly seen that play out uh in our organization we have we have a lot of people with long tenures and i don't think that's an accident i think it's because they you were thoughtful they enjoy about it. Yeah, yeah yeah and and they they enjoy those those connections they enjoy their colleagues they've, they've made some really great relationships and um, you know, you can always leave and, and get a little, you know, get a bump here and there. And, but when you like where you work and you like the people you work with the, it's hard to put, uh, well, you, you can, I think, put a price tag on that, right. You can monetize that and say, what's that worth to me? And I think for a lot of people, it's worth a lot. Indeed. So, um, I think on the onboarding side that that's critical and you don't have to have a big shop, complicated HR machine to do that. Well, it can be literally as uh, a supervisor or a peer making an introduction. Oh, you like ultimate frisbee? You know what? Jim likes ultimate. We've frisbee. got somebody have here. You, have, yeah, yeah. Have you met Jim before? Let me introduce you. I know he plays nice. ultimate frisbee every weekend. Like, <laughs> right? You know. Right. So, I mean, that, I, that's I don't know why I came up with that example, but you know, it's <laughs> the fine uh, connections. Yes. Yeah, the fine connections introduce people, help them, and I, and I think part of that too is having enough social opportunities with your organization, and and those can be informal, right? It's not like you have to spend a lot. But just bringing people together and doing that informally enough where different sets of people end up connecting and, and uh, getting to know one another. Um, I think uh, I think something that's really important now is how supervisors interact with their direct reports and being very intentional from the beginning of uh, bringing somebody on 
to in, know that you're interested in their career and their journey and that you, to the degree that you can, you want to invest in that and, and help them and that you're there to help them achieve their goals. And hopefully that's at your organization, but also being comfortable acknowledging that, you know, I mean, we're all examples of it. We've all moved around to different uh, organizations and at time that makes sense, but that, you know, eventually that might, might mean moving on. But in the meantime, that as the supervisor, you're invested in, in their career growth and to help them achieve their goals, whatever those are. And um, I think that's more common now, but there's certainly a number of managers and supervisors who don't do that or aren't don't just don't remember, you know, I think they have good intentions, but they don't, they only do it maybe once a year at that performance review. And I think, uh, you know, stay conversations is a phrase that we hear more about. And right. I think stay conversations is another way of just saying like, you know, have the, have those intentional career coaching management conversations on a regular basis. I mean, you could be talking about it every time you, you have a, you know, meaningful interaction with your direct reports. Um, and I think, People, staff who feel that their supervisors and managers have their best interests in mind, and they're they're authentic and sincere about that, and they put their you know they 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 follow that up and do things. Um, and and I'm trying to think of other examples. For instance, you're a supervisor and you see a a webinar coming up or an article or something that you know is related to what you've heard from a staff member where they have a specific interest nice. um, that's yeah. maybe maybe outside their you know what they're doing in their everyday job but it just it just shows that you've you've heard them and you've and you've listened and and hey i don't know if you, know, if you saw this article but i thought this was kind of interesting and you've talked about this before so i just want to share it with you that's it you know that that takes what 30 seconds not to yeah. send an email no with, time at all attachment right um right. so i i think I just think that's really, really important. And I think when people know that others are, are, you know, have their best interests in mind and, and it's meaningful and, and they, you know, they also get the training and the, and they get to go to a conference here and there and they get some of that professional development and that, that you know, every organization has different uh, budgets for that. But if you can at least do some of something and, and to be intentional about that, it, the the retention is uh, going. You're going to see results in how you retain people, and that their tenures end up, uh, you know, being being longer. And um, and and I think along with that too is the is the celebrating the small wins, the small victories. It's the birthday cards uh, with a treat. It's it's just making Those sure you're things. having yeah right. yeah making sure you're having some fun. And showing up for your team, um, and I think you know, I think all supervisors uh, and managers have to be cheerleaders. And if you're not thinking of yourself as a cheerleader, you should be because you uh, what you bring, I think, oftentimes is reflected in the people who report to you or who are on your team, and um, that's again important because we all you, know, you spend a lot of time at work and you. You want to enjoy the people you're working with. You want to feel a sense of fulfillment. And when your manager or supervisor is reinforcing that and connecting the dots between what you're doing and the impact that it's having. So that's, you know, the celebrating the little wins or, or making a point of saying, you know, when there's something big that happens at the organization, but reminding people about how they were a part of that, you know, or what their role did to contribute to that. So for me, 
with my team, we hire a lot of people. Well, when somebody has a big gift that they close, you know, they're celebrating a $20 million gift, I'll remind my team member who led that search that hired that person. Like, you know, you're, you have a lot of responsibility. You were part of this. You were part of this. You helped bring that person to NC State. That's a big deal. Now look at them. They're just, they just close a $20 million gift. Like that's that's huge. And you have, you played a role in that. It's fantastic, Reed, as you have been throughout this conversation. Lots of great takeaways, a literal checklist of things to consider as you elevate the talent development at your organization. Uh, one parting gift, Reed, you know this was coming, but could you offer <laughs> a book recommendation for our listeners before we sign off? I recently read a book called Forget the Alamo. It's uh, three authors. Uh, Brian Burrow is one of them, yeah, um, yeah. Jason Stanford. And it's The Rise and Fall of an American Myth is the is basically what the book is about. And um, on his face, this might it, it might seem like it's a political book, and there are definitely political elements of it. But, um, but it's, it, it's, it's a history, it's a narrative and, and it's about, um, mythology and how all those kind of combine. And, and they use this one example about the Alamo, about how those things came together, which ended up having this significant impact, which is essentially the creation of the state of Texas. And, um, I thought it was really interesting. It, it was, gave me a lot of, a lot to reflect on. It's fantastic. Reed, thank you for adding that to our discussion and as we close, uh, Reed, where can people find out more about you and the great work you're doing? Well, I mentioned our our website, um, the Advancement Careers uh, at NC State webpage, and and our teams on there, and all of our opportunities uh, in advancement at NC State, of course, and then our team. Uh, um, definitely, uh, can find me on LinkedIn. Just Reed Riccardi, and and you'll come across my profile. Uh, I'm happy to connect any any time. You're a great connection, and you're generous with your time and interest. We will link up all of the resources, including how to find you, Read on the show notes associated with this episode. So for all of this, thank you once more for joining me on the path. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for inviting me, Patton. I enjoyed it. Take care. Well, I hope you found this conversation with Reed as insightful and thought-provoking as I did. It is always good to learn from accomplished leaders in our sector. And remember to check out our website, PattonMcDowell.com, and go to the podcast page for the show notes from this episode, number 215. You'll find additional resources Reed and I discussed, as well as how to find out more about him and the work he's doing at North Carolina State University. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with at least one other person on their own path to nonprofit leadership. And if you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Just go to PattonMcDowell.com. The podcast page will send you to a button. It's called Follow. Click it. And by subscribing, you won't miss any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. While you're on that page, make sure you check out the episodes button at the top of that page as well, because you can scroll through thumbnails of some of our most popular episodes, as well as search by topic or guest name. Thank you, as always, for the incredible dedication you have to the nonprofit sector, especially during these challenging times. Your work is making a difference in the causes you care most about. I'll continue to provide you content to support your efforts. Have a fantastic week. I'll see you next time on The Path.